Well, you can be seated, and I'd invite you to open your Bibles up, if you have them, to uh, Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. It's good to see so many of you this morning. Some of you, it's been like two months since I've seen some of you. So this is really good. This is really encouraging for me. And it's a, it's a joy for us to be together today. Uh, I want to talk to us about sacred spaces. Um, when I say the term sacred space, that probably generates some kind of picture in your mind or some kind of idea of, like you may even know when I say like, sacred spaces, you may even know, like, before I start to define it, you may know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like, so I think, like, the most natural sacred space for us, like, the space that, like, has to be very protected and make sure that we do things right here, right? Uh, that, the most natural space for us, I think, is, like, probably the church building. Um, so, like, when I, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I, I was at the church that I was at, I remember that there was like a host of things that you couldn't do because you were in a church building, right? Like you can't, right? So like uh, you can't use profanity in the church building. Like you shouldn't use profanity in the first place, right? But you especially, you know, you shouldn't use profanity in the church building because, well, I don't know why, like what, lighting's going to strike you? Like I don't exactly get it. But uh, that was something you couldn't do. Um, you know, if if you were being mean to someone, uh, the thing, the person that you're being mean to would say to you, no, you can't do that. You're in a church. It's like, well, I just can't do that anyway. Like, I shouldn't be mean to you. It it has nothing to do with me being in a building. But nonetheless, we have come up with this idea that somehow, like, church is this place. Like, the building is this place where we're supposed to be super holy. Like, that is our idea of a sacred space. Uh, Nonetheless, yeah, so that's kind of what happens. And then, uh, so... Maybe, maybe not just a church building, but maybe like the worship service is a sacred space for you, right? You get this uh, sense that uh, in the middle of the worship service, God is really moving in some particular way. Maybe something is sung in the song and you're like, oh, I really meet with God, especially in the worship service, right? So that could be your idea of a sacred space. Uh, and then like in high school, uh, I spent a lot of time, you know, through grade school, middle school, high school, going to church camps. And uh, I like without fail every time we'd get to like you know testimony night or something like that and uh everybody would be coming up and there would inevitably be one person who would say something along the lines of as soon as I pulled on to the campground I just knew that God was here right like some kind because of the experience that they had previously right there they're uh kind of relating to this feeling of oh i really feel that god is here right because as soon as i pulled on like oh it's just like i knew this was a special place this was a sacred space right so uh so maybe that could be your example uh, if you read the bible and i use the the word sacred space you may think of something like the temple in the Old Testament, because it actually was like a really sacred space. There were a lot of boundaries put around it, a lot of things you could and couldn't do in relation to the temple. Uh, maybe you think of even like, you know, the garden, this place where God walked with human beings, right, in special relationships. So, so anyway, there could be a litany of potential sacred spaces. The point is that we tend to kind of pinpoint really particular spaces and say that that space over there, whatever that is, that's a sacred space. And when I go there, I'm in that sacred space, but then when I leave, I'm no longer in that sacred space. And that's usually because at some point, somewhere along the line, somebody has just like kind of slapped a title on it that makes us think it's a sacred space. And we think that's where people meet with God, so it is special, it is holy. And then like as soon as you open the pages of Scripture, especially the New Testament, you notice something. Because Jesus comes, you know, to earth in the New Testament, and then like suddenly, kind of every space he goes is a sacred space. Like every place he walks is a place that is set apart. Every place he goes is a place where people can meet with God in a special way. Right, so he goes to a well to get water, And a woman meets him there and learns about worshiping in spirit and in truth. This place that was very mundane at one point became a sacred space because Jesus showed up there. Right? He walks into a room and a girl who once was dead comes to life. 
Right? What was once a very normal part of life for the people who lived in this home, this room, suddenly, because Jesus was there, became a sacred space. Right? Jesus stands up on a hilltop, like in the middle of a field somewhere or something like that. Maybe it's in the desert, you know, but he's up on a hilltop, and he, like that, that hilltop all of a sudden becomes a sacred space because he's there teaching people and reorienting people's thinking about God's kingdom. Right? Wherever he goes, there's a sacred space. Right, but if you, if you observe really carefully as you read the New Testament and especially the Gospels, there is one space that kind of becomes like thematically a sacred space for Jesus. Like he kind of consistently comes back to a place like this time and time again. Right, it's a place that he's constantly spending time with people. A place where you see him constantly, like in different situations, conveying compassion. Uh, Sometimes reorienting people's thinking. Sometimes uh, perceiving people's deepest needs, right? Uh, Sometimes he is uh, shaping and changing people as he's in this space. So do you know what that space is? It's actually not in a singular space. It's it's something that's in every home. It's the dinner table. Jesus is sitting, like just read through the Gospels and consider the number of times that he is sitting down for a meal with people. And what does he do in those times that he's sitting down for a meal with people? He is doing something to reshape their thinking or he's doing something where he meets with somebody on a very personal level. Right, so, so at one table, Jesus comes in and like it's, it's like the space, wherever Jesus is, like the space between heaven and earth is very thin. Right? And so the space really does become a sacred space. You see like the power of God working in that moment. So at one table, he's at a dinner table, and uh, this woman who sees him talking, she's kind of like off to the side, off to the fringes, kind of on the edge of the room. She sees him talking and sees him interacting, and all of a sudden she can't control herself, and she starts weeping, and then falls down on, at, like, at his feet and starts washing his feet with her tears. At another table... Uh, Jesus invites himself over to a tax collector's house and uh, him and the tax collector have lunch together and by the time they finish lunch, the tax collector is repenting and then paying back more than what he owes to all the people that he stole from. At another table, the disciples receive instruction about what it means to abide in the vine. At another table, There's a Pharisee who learns what it means to respond like a person who has been forgiven much. At another table, uh, a a meal that uh, he, he kind of institutes a meal that he wants his disciples to repeat time and time and time again to remember that his body was going to be broken and his blood was going to be shed. At another table which doesn't actually have like a physical table, but go with me for a second. He's having a meal on the beach. He fixes some fish, right? And in the middle of that meal, Peter comes and meets with him and uh, he eats with Peter and then restores him for his denial of Jesus. Right, so, so the table ministry though, it's really interesting, like it doesn't just stop there. It keeps going on through the New Testament. Like after the Holy Spirit comes onto the disciples and, and then people start being repent and being baptized. And then, uh, you know, so you have people now in, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the presence of the living God living and flowing through them. And the space between heaven and earth, even though Jesus has ascended, still remains thin around tables. Acts 2, 42 and 46. This is what they say. It says these, these, these people who, upon whom the Holy Spirit had come, who were spending time uh, together, who had uh, repented and believed and been baptized, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, typically we read that and we think communion, right? So they did this kind of practice of communion. Here's the thing, though. For the early church, there was no difference between practicing communion and eating a meal together. Like the things went hand in hand, right? So they're breaking bread. They're sitting at tables together. They devoted themselves to that. And then in in verse 46, it says this, day by day, 
they attended the temple together and were breaking bread in their homes and received their food with glad and generous hearts. This practice of table. Tables still remain very sacred spaces as you continue on after Jesus has ascended. In Acts 11, the, the theme continues on, the theme of eating together, of having tables. So, so uh, what happens is that uh, Peter is with some Jewish Christians and it comes to light that Peter has been spending time with Gentiles, right? Which for the Jews, the Jews call the Gentiles dogs, for what it's worth. You don't spend time with Gentiles. You don't associate with them. They are unclean. They are against everything that we stand for. And so this comes to light to some of the Jewish Christians, and some Jewish Christians are really concerned, like, whoa, Peter, what are you doing? And so Peter has to explain himself. And so he says, you know what? God gave me this dream. And he gave me the same dream three different times. And you know what the dream was about? It was about food. Specifically, it was about food that Gentiles ate, but that was off limits for Jewish people. And what God said was, Peter, don't call what I have called clean, unclean. Essentially to say, you know what, these Gentiles are going to eat food that, that you think is unclean, but you know what, you need to eat with them anyway. You need to be in fellowship with them anyway. So the theme of having meals together and eating together and being around tables together still continues against uh, two groups of people who were considered to be mortal enemies from each other. So, um, so that continues on. And then, and then we know from history like as we watch the Christian movement uh, kind of go on forward from the book of Acts, what I can tell you really clearly is that like the Christian movement did not initially spread through like publications. It did not initially spread through the holding of like big evangelistic crusades and events. The rapid spread of Christianity happened under Roman persecution, which means that you like there were times in the Christian movement you could not like publicly speak about your faith. You could not hold public events related to the Christian faith. So the spread, the rapid spread of the Christian church under Roman persecution, do you know where it happened? It happened in homes around dinner tables. People opening up their tables to people who didn't yet know Jesus. And you know what? The space around those tables between heaven and earth became very thin. And Jesus started meeting with people. Like he could start reorienting thinking around those tables. He could start opening up new possibilities for people around those tables. He started challenging ways that people were living around those tables. Caused people to uh, consider God's kingdom around those tables and uh, forgive, uh, extend forgiveness to one another around those tables. Right? And, and so around the tables of spirit-filled people, we know that those places will continue to be sacred spaces all the way into eternity. Right? Like when all of God's family gathers at that final table, where we feast together, the church celebrates the reunion that we have with our king who has bought our lives with the price of his blood. And we eat and drink and feast at that table because Jesus is victorious. Right? And so while that like, great and terrible day of the Lord is underway, all of God's people are gathered around a table celebrating because they have been saved by their king. Right? So Jesus, Jesus showed us many, many things. But one thing I think that we can miss when we get really caught up in religious activity, right? because we tend to think, okay, my sacredness, my carrying out of my religious walk, I just have to do a bunch of religious activity. But one of the things that I think we can miss when we get caught up in that is that tables can be incredibly sacred spaces. Tables can be incredibly sacred spaces. Why? Because around the generosity of food, walls more easily come down. You have somebody who's willing to prepare a meal for you. You're more willing to drop walls. And then you have the intimacy of sitting across a table from another person, being able to understand who they are, ask them questions. Like we share these special moments that we don't otherwise get. And there's like 
honestly, there's just an opportunity for us to know somebody else and be known by them. And then you add to that, like the Holy Spirit working through us in the middle of those moments, like the presence of Jesus making the space between heaven and earth thin. And you combine to that, like openness of people and the vulnerability that comes with simply being at a table and the sharing of stories and the presence of Jesus. And what you have in the middle of all of that is an incredibly sacred space. So what does all of this have to do with us? Today is, and I've announced this for a few weeks, today is Vision Sunday. So um, real quick, I want to recap kind of the last three years for us. So uh, uh, the, the first of these last three years, year one, uh, the church, I got to come to Alliance Bible Church, right? You, uh, the, the call was extended to me. Uh, I was getting to know this church. I was getting to know the people who are here, right? I'm, I'm getting acquainted with my role. And that was really like the goal. Like we knew that, that the Lord was going to call us to some kind of change. We didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, right? But kind of the first thing is like we need to get to know each other, right? So, th- so that happened. And in that process, uh, the elders, as we considered what change might look like, we did an edit. We edited our purpose and our strategy statements. And I'm not going to take the time to remind you of what those are right now, but I'm just going to tell you, like, we had our eyes on the idea of change. And so we thought, you know, if we kind of edit these things that we focus on, that's going to help us to take the next steps that we need to take. And then year two hit, and uh, literally the weekend that the elders met... To, uh, to make plans for how we were going to start to implement these statements that we had just edited. Uh, and we had kind of laid out things for the next three months and the next six months. Literally that weekend, we were at the same time making phone calls to many people who were potentially vulnerable, saying, we really think you should stay home from church this Sunday because there's this like virus that's going around. And it's getting people really sick. Right, so, so, so we spread that message. We said, when you come to church tomorrow, you probably shouldn't hug each other, right? Like we, we probably should keep our hands to ourselves, maybe use some hand sanitizer, make sure you wash really, really well, right? We were saying those things on that particular weekend and, and thinking that, hey, a couple weeks, maybe a month, and we'll be through this. And then a month turned into two months and then into four months and then we we were in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and we had to adjust to that right we figured that out and that was that was year two for us right and then year three 2021 we're still managing COVID right we're still dealing with the realities of this but then what we as a team of elders recognize is that as a church we kind of have to deal with reality right like those edits that we had made back in 2019, they felt so distant from us right now where we were. And like we got the sense that that, like that by itself was not going to be enough to drive us to the measurable change that we need to make as a church. So in uh, March of 2021, uh, the elders came before all of you and we shared with you, we think the Lord wants this church to change in a significant way. And we received uh, just amazing support from all of you as we shared that, right? And I'm not going to recap with you kind of the whole process that we went through in the last year. If you want to get that recap, uh, in the annual reports, uh, there's plenty of details kind of recapping that. So, so you have that. I'd encourage you to read it, but that's not, I'm not going to talk through all of those details. I'm going to talk through one specific step of these kind of series of things that we are walking through to see the Lord's change. I want to talk to you about this meeting that we had in September. Uh, we had this values discovery meeting. We were kind of asking a question of, okay, okay, if the Lord is going to call us to change, if he's going to make us into something different, what are the, the values that we together will hold that will determine how we are going to make the next decisions that we're going to make. And so, uh, so before church, I think it was like on September 18th or something like that, we all got together here in this room and we uh, put a big whiteboard up there and we kind of wrote down, like everybody worked through, well, you know, I think this is going to be really important for us to walk through the future. And through that process, we condensed it down, I think, into five different words that were really significant for us. 
I want to share with you, uh, since the elders have taken that in process, we've kind of uh, identified six core values. I'm not going to share all of them with you. I want to share with you four of them. And there are four that we identified here in this room. The four that we identified are this. uh, Relationships, hospitality, interdependence, and meaningful change. That together, like through a, an incredibly, for lack of a better term, democratic process, through a process of us talking to each other in small groups and then combining those small groups and talking a little bit more, we arrived at these kind of four cultural values. And we all kind of, after we wrote them on the board, we all kind of went, yeah, that sounds like this church and that sounds like what needs to drive us into the future. Relationships, hospitality, interdependence, and meaningful change. We're going to keep these up here for a second. I just want to keep them up in front of you. Because there were like 40 different value words that we could have picked. Right? Like, like excellence was on there. Artistic was on there. Right? Like there were all of these different words. But these are the four words that we landed on. And I want to tell you, I think that means that we believe something about ourselves. Actually, something really particular about ourselves. We believe that our best assets at this church are us, the people. Like our time spent together, our love for each other, our welcoming of others, our working together. Like this is what this church believes about itself, that these are our best assets. So, so literally the next morning... I left for a district conference, which means I was spending three hours in the car on the way down, three hours in the car on the way back, and I was, uh, I was by myself in the hotel room, you know, after we had finished the ad- events for the day, I was by myself in the hotel room, and so, like, there was ample opportunity after this moment where we got together and kind of really said, like, we think this is who we are, I got the chance to, like, pray and think and consider, okay, what does this mean for us? I'm trying to figure out how these values fit together and then I thought like where does Jesus spend time with people in relationship like where does Jesus's hospitality meet people in really profound ways where does Jesus convey to his disciples the importance of unity and interdependence after he leaves and ascends into heaven where does Jesus like consistently meet people and make meaningful change in their lives And the longer I spent dreaming and praying and kind of thanking the Lord for this moment, like the clearer that he enabled the image of a table to become to me. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read one story of Jesus meeting at a table with people. And then we're going to discover together how this kind of impacts now the fourth year, the beginning of the fourth year that we're walking into together and actually, for what it's worth, the 39th year of the existence of this church. So uh, Luke 24, 13 through 32. We're just going to read through this story together. I'll make a few comments on the way. I'm not going to sit and explain a ton of things. We're just going to kind of work through it together. So Luke 24, 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. What are all of these things? All of these things are Jesus has been crucified, that he has been buried, and that some people have given reports of the fact that he has risen from the dead. But but very few people have seen him. And the people who have seen him, uh, let's just say that the rest of the culture doesn't trust them. Right? So the people who say that they saw Jesus, they're not really trustworthy, but uh, or at least that's what the people who said that think. And so, uh, so there were these like series of um, just crazy events that happened one after the other. And they're discussing this. So verse 15, while they, they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Right, so, so imagine they're walking along the road from one place to another, and uh, here, here they see somebody else walking, and Jesus like comes along, and he's walking kind of right next to them. And their eyes were kept from recognizing them. So, so they had no idea who it was that was walking with them. They only know that this guy was like kind of interested because he said, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still 
looking sad. Right, so then verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Right, so all the things that I just talked about, and they're going to explain it to him in just a second, but uh, Jesus responds to them, what things? Right, so that's really interesting. These guys are just kind of walking around having their own conversation, and Jesus shows this interest in the things that they are talking about to the extent that as he, like, as they begin explaining, Jesus is asking questions. He's inquiring. He's interested. I think we see like the first steps of hospitality here for what it's worth, right? There's this question, this, there's this openness, there's this invitation to engage on a deeper level. There's interaction, there's space made for another person to kind of express what they've been through. And Jesus perceives that these guys aren't looking like they're too excited about these things, right? So it goes on. They said to him, these things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God, and all the people, our chief priests and rulers, delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we, this is kind of where the pain point hits, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened, right? So the, the, the pain of this moment is becoming apparent, and Jesus is listening and inquiring even more, and so they keep talking, and they say, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive, right? So, so these women who, uh, just by the cultural standards, the men are like, should we even trust them in the first place? But they report what had happened. And, and, and what had happened was that Jesus' body was gone. And so it says in verse 24, some of those who were went with, with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. They did not, uh, but him they did not see. They can't find the body of Jesus anywhere. And so Jesus is patiently listening to them. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, which I'm just like really curious how Jesus could get away with saying, oh, foolish ones, in kind of the social context here. But uh, for what it's worth, he says, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So now, as, as Jesus has been listening to them, they're starting now to listen to Jesus, and Jesus is kind of uh, conveying that uh, I know a little bit about the scriptures, right? I've, I've dug into this a little bit. The things that you're telling me, they're not actually surprising me because it, it very much aligns with the things that I know to be true about God's word. And begin, so the verse 27 says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things the scriptures said concerning himself. So now we're kind of moving stages because we've moved beyond kind of the hospitality of welcoming somebody in, uh, engaging with them, right? Listening to them, asking deeper questions, encouraging to them to go deeper, right? We've moved past that and now there's a relationship forming. Right? There's time invested. There is interest here. There's conversation. Like this walk could be like three, four hours. Imagine how much that you could accomplish in a three or four hour walk. I mean, and there's a lot of Bible to get through too for what it's worth. And so they're talking about all of these stuff. There's this exchange back and forth. And then verse 28 says, uh, they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. So, so not only do you see in this moment mutual hospitality extended, that an invitation is given to one person and that another person uh, receives that invitation, but you also uh, see a sense of interdependence Right, Because they're providing for Jesus a place for him to stay, to be protected for the night, to not have to go on any further. And the implication of that is that uh, they're going to add value to Jesus. They're going to do something to serve him. Right? They're going to uh, feed him like when they come in for the night. And so verse 30 says this. When he was at table with them. 
When Jesus sits at tables, the space between heaven and earth gets very thin. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. All of a sudden, everything comes together for these guys who are concerned about the things that have been happening, that Jesus, the one they were following, had died, but then some people reported that he's alive and they can't find his body. And all of a sudden, they recognize that the risen Jesus is sitting in front of them. And then it says, he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Right? These these guys have walked now and walked with Jesus and they didn't know it was Jesus, but as they understood that each step of the way, the the scriptures were revealing the things about Jesus that uh, appeared to be true. And, And so Jesus kind of walked them through the whole Bible and they're getting stirred up and excited about this. And then when they sit down at the table and Jesus breaks the bread, all of a sudden they realize who he is. And in this moment, you see meaningful change for these guys right in an instant jesus breaks bread with them and they sit down and like this is for what it's worth much like the last supper right the breaking of bread his body and blood and finally they see what they could not see this whole time and it radically changes their lives forever jesus is alive and he is working and his kingdom is coming and so at one time for these guys was sorrow and confusion becomes very clear joy and passion and direction, and they're changed forever. Right? Like at the end of the day, Jesus meets them at a table, and through their fellowship with Jesus at the table, he changed them. And then as we have already seen, like just because Jesus has ascended does not mean that his ministry at tables has stopped. And so this is what, I want us to grasp this morning the big deal. Church, our tables can be tables where Jesus sits. Right? Like we have everything that was given to the early church. Right? The the filling of the Holy Spirit, His presence with us, His word spoken to us. We have all of these gifts given to us, uh, working inside of us to sanctify us and conform us increasingly into the image of Christ. Our tables can be tables where Jesus sits. But uh, in order for that to happen, two like key things really need to happen. Number one, we need to be more aware that Jesus wants to sit with us. Right, so as we're as we're sitting down and eating our meals, and not just our meals, but as we're like walking through our day, like. We need to be more aware that Jesus is constantly extending his hospitality to us, constantly welcoming us, constantly inviting us to know him, to be known by him, that we could walk deeper with him. It's this constant invitation because, and he offered it at first through the giving of his body and blood, that we could walk freely with him without concern about what distance there would be between us because he covered all of it. He gives us this free invitation to walk He invites us in, and so we need to be aware that Jesus actually wants to sit with us wherever we go. That's the first thing that needs to happen. The second thing is that, like, if our tables can be tables where Jesus sits, we need to become those through whom Jesus is meeting with others. He's shaping us into those people. His Holy Spirit fills us in those moments when we sit at tables. So what does this mean for us? Uh, okay, so we, uh, you know, moving forward from September, we ended up at an elder retreat, uh, November 2021. And that elder retreat, that's where we got to sort through these values, and we're still working on them. Uh, and, and what I'm going to give you this morning, these next steps that I'm going to give you this morning, this is not everything for us, right? These are initial steps, right? And the purpose is for it to shape us into a kind of people, 
right? So, so we articulated the, kind of those four values up there as cultural values, which means that as the culture of this place, we people who interact with each other, these are the things that people will naturally see and will naturally flow out of us, which means like they're not entirely true right now, but we hope to see them become more and more true. Right, so if that's the case, we need to actually do something that helps those things become more and more true. Right, so here are the clearest next steps. As we kind of met in this elder retreat, we got the sense that these are the things that we really need to do next. So two, two next steps for 2022. The first thing is this. We will weekly remember Jesus' table together. Uh, so you are used to us kind of taking communion and doing it once a month, right? Uh, at the beginning of the month, that is kind of our pattern. But Jesus actually, like, he gave us the table for a reason. The table is built to remind us time and time again of what ties us together. His body broken and his blood shed. Right? And at that table, he welcomes us. He extends his hospitality to us. He gives himself up as a gift because he loves us. He extends forgiveness to us. We eat and drink at the table that he has invited us to. We remember and receive the victory that he won for us on the cross. We look forward to that final feast where we once and for all will celebrate his great victory. So what that means for us here is that we weekly together will experience Jesus' hospitality in coming to the table. So it's going to become a regular part of what we gather. So, so here's questions that you probably have as I say that. Are we going to keep using those stupid little cups with the film and the styrofoam and the, the high-sodium grape juice? Uh, no, we are not going to keep using those. And let me explain to you how this is going to work. So uh, before we launch, this is actually what's going to be required of us. Um, I need people who can uh, volunteer, uh, either a person or a family, uh, that we could get kind of like a monthly rotation going of somebody who could either uh, bake bread or buy bread from the store and prepare communion for us for that morning. And we would go through kind of a monthly rotation. So uh, if as I'm talking, you're like, oh, that's something that I could do. Uh, we, like, we need to touch base. We need to talk because we need to set up kind of a schedule and a rotation for people to be able to do that. And then what's going to happen is that um, kind of the way that our uh, room is going to be situated, we will put a, a table in the middle of the room, right, to remember that Jesus is inviting us to his table and uh, the table will have the bread and the juice there, and uh, there will be a time for reflection, a time for us to come up and uh, take the bread, take the juice, return to our seats, and, uh, and celebrate communion together. So this, this kind of pattern of doing this, and as we remember what it is that Jesus is doing, we're going to weekly think about the fact that Jesus, through his uh, incredible hospitality to us, has extended us an invitation by his body and blood. That, uh, that we could know him, that we could be in relationship with him, and that he could meaningfully change us through that relationship. Uh, so that's the first thing that we're going to do. So, so just kind of like as you think next step, consider whether or not you're going to be on that monthly rotation with us, uh, either going out and buying some bread or baking the bread and, and preparing communion for us for that morning. Give some consideration to that. Uh, and then here is the second step for 2022, we will pursue a goal of sharing tables. So uh, if you got your uh, little handout this morning with the sermon notes, inside of the sermon notes is this little piece of paper right here that says sharing tables, ABC 2022 uh, vision and goal. So uh, I, I will bring some things up to the middle here. So you can see, I can clearly explain everything. Um, so uh, this, is, this is what this is kind of purposed to do. This is going to get us sharing tables with each other and with others. So um, 
So this is how it functions. Uh, number one, we share a table. Uh, and there are two categories of tables you can share. You can share an end table. An end table is a table with somebody who is a part of our church. Whether a regular tender, uh, member, you're intentionally kind of reaching out to and spending time with somebody who is a part of our church. And I really want to encourage you. If you have people that you regularly get together with who are part of this church, uh, don't make these end tables those people. Uh, pick somebody who you don't really know that well or somebody that you're trying to get to know more, right? But don't pick like kind of the default answer for you, but find somebody uh, who you can share an in table with. And then out tables are tables shared with people who are far from Jesus, right? So we're going to do both of these things. And here, here is the individual goal. For everybody who calls this church home, this is your church. It says by July 22, you can scratch the light, July out and put August, right? But by, by August of 2022, we want to share two in tables and one out table as individuals. Every individual in this church shares two in tables and one out table. So number one, share a table. Number two, pay attention Listen and have fun. So, so I want us to be very intentional with this. Like if we believe that the space between heaven and earth is thin because the Holy Spirit is filling us and uh, Jesus is present when we sit at a table, then we should pay special attention to the work that Jesus wants to do in that moment. So uh, for what it's worth, I just saw a beautiful example of this this week. Uh, we had our first Alpha gathering. And so, uh, so from our church, it's, uh, it's me and Matt Armstrong and his wife, Adriana. And, uh, and we welcomed some people to a table. We sat down for dinner. This woman started telling her story. And I watched Adriana listen to this woman and think about what Jesus wanted to do and how he was going to show up for this woman in her life. And she spoke so clearly by the power of the Holy Spirit into this woman's life. And it was beautiful because she was aware that at this table, Jesus is going to work. Right? So, so have that awareness. That's the kind of awareness that we want to think about when we get together, when we gather at tables. Right? So invite God to work. Strive to be aware of how he is working. Ask great questions. Be willing to become vulnerable. Um, make observations, right? Appreciate and enjoy how God has made this other person, right? Laugh together, uh, have fun together, right? These are all good things to do, right? But just enjoy one another's presen uh, presence and then listen for what they might need from Jesus. And you can do that with people who are far from God and people who are close to God. Uh, number three, reflect. So this is the part that uh, none of us are probably going to be inclined to do because none of us do this naturally after we have a meal. But uh, I want you to spend some intentional time thinking after the meal. I want you to thank God for the time that you shared, but then also I want you to come up like, with a word or a phrase that will summarize how God showed up in that moment. And then number four, you are going to celebrate that way that God showed up. And I'm going to tell you specifically how you're going to do it. There are um, various table-shaped ornaments inside this box right here. That word or phrase that you come up with, there will be pens out there uh, on, uh, on one of the counters out in the foyer. There will be pens where you can write on this table-shaped ornament uh, how God showed up, that word or phrase that you came up with. And there will be two baskets. There will be an in-basket and there will be an out-basket. And all you have to do is simply take the ornament, write your word or phrase, and put it in the basket. And then each week we will make sure that these table-shaped ornaments end up inside this box. And we're going to track how we share tables both together and with people who are outside of our church. And we're going to be able to look at those table-shaped ornaments and see, oh, look, there's a moment where God showed up at a table. Oh, look, there's another moment that God showed up in a really special way at a table. And you know what we might even do? We might take some of these words or phrases that we come up with and bring them into our table and say, you know what, this week God showed up at a table in this way. And God showed up at a table in this way. And so now Jesus is inviting us to his table and welcoming us in as well. Right, so that's what we're going to do. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of the basics of it. And then I have some additional notes and instructions for all of us. Uh, and that's just kind of like I'm trying to anticipate the frequently asked questions ahead of time. So, um, so first of all, 
Each ABC person who, so if you call this church home, each person who shared a table should put an ornament in the basket, meaning like uh, spouses have dinner with spouses and they're all from this church. What that means is there should be uh, four ornaments that end up in the baskets, right? Four ornaments that end up in the baskets, one for each person who calls this church home. Or if, uh, if uh, you and your spouse or you and your whole family invite somebody over who is far from Jesus and you have dinner with them uh, and you're like intentionally seeking to see how Jesus wants to meet them, then you're, each person in your family is going to reflect on that meal together, come up with a word or phrase of how they get, saw God show up, and each person in your family will celebrate that. So you could, that's all to say, for one meal, you could potentially have multiple ornaments that end up in the box um and then uh, just clarity the following shared tables do not count um regular family gatherings or holidays so the the point of like kind of putting these things down is i want us to break out of doing things that we're used to doing and do something that's new for us and that's like sharing you know kind of more intimate time with fewer people, right? So uh, regular family gatherings or holidays, you might be very intentional in how you go to your family gatherings and seeing how Jesus wants to be there, but I don't want you to include these because I want you to be intentional to invest in maybe like a single person for this, so, or, or a, a single group of people, so like a, a spouse or something like spouses or something like that. So regular family gatherings or holidays do not count uh, in small group or in Bible study gatherings. That, that essentially means like any group that is like a church group that regularly gets together, those things do not count. Uh, and then finally, ministry team meetings, stuff like that. That does not count towards this goal. Um, so don't put anything in the baskets for those. Right? And here's our goal. Our goal by August of 2022 is to share 120 in tables or have 120 people who, uh, or sorry, we want to have shared 120 different times, you know, uh, in tables and then 80 out tables by August of 2022. The reason that 80 is in there is because I did consider the fact that we have an alpha gathering and alpha very intentionally puts a table in each meeting where we share a meal together. And I know that uh, our alpha, uh, uh, that we're going to be spending time at tables with people who are far from Jesus. And I I wanted to be able to include those in that. So I kind of upped that number beyond what it uh, should be. So anyway, that is our goal. 120 in tables and 80 out tables. Okay, so what? Uh, if you, sorry, if you are uh, online and you're like, goodness, I did not have this uh, sheet in my hand to know what was going on. Uh, above this video, if you're on our website, above this video is a link that says, uh, click here to download today's sermon notes. And this sheet about sharing tables together is on, uh, on our website at that link. Click here to download today's sermon notes. So you can download that and you will be able to have that in hand. Uh, also, these instructions will always be out there with this. So if you're like, oh goodness, I have to remember all of that? No, the instructions will always be out there at the counter so that you know uh, what they are. So that's there for you as well. Okay, so what? Number one, this is why sanctification matters. Because Jesus wants to use us to bring his presence to our tables. Right? The Holy Spirit works when we are sensitive to what he wants to do. So we are people who learn to read scripture and pray and obey and follow Jesus and learn about his heart because that makes us more aware of the kind of work that he wants to do at our tables. Right? Sanctification matters significantly for this reason. So, um, so, Be concerned about what it is that Jesus is doing with you and the kind of person that he is shaping you into because that will impact uh, your awareness of how he wants to show up and work at your tables. And then number two, I just invite you, stay tuned for next steps regarding corporate prayer. That is one thing that I did not talk much about or at all about this morning. But I do want to say really clearly that we are not done praying together as a church. 
In fact, there should be no sense that we have that uh, in terms of our corporate gathering and awareness of how Jesus needs to work, that we will never be done praying together as a church. Like there's no sense that we will have ever arrived and say, okay, I guess we're like, we really are a good church now. So I guess we don't have to pray anymore. No, like prayer is a part of how we function together. Right, so, so I just want to invite you to stay tuned for next steps on how we're going to do that. Uh, I recognize that some of the times that we picked have not always worked well for people, so we're just trying to think more intentionally about how we can have gatherings for prayer that we can all participate in together. Uh, and so, uh, just as a reminder, like it doesn't matter what kind of house we're trying to build or even how uh, unique or particular or aimed the strategy for building that house is. If the Lord does not build the house, its laborers build it in vain. Right? So we cannot accomplish what God is calling us to do if we will not continue to engage in prayer, continue to seek his heart, and continue to ask him to move on our behalf. Okay, so that is everything that I have this morning. Um, if you guys have questions about any of that, I am absolutely available to, to process. Any of our elders are available with you to process. Uh, we would love to hear, um, you know, if you have any questions or concerns or whatever, uh, please, please find us and talk to us. With all that said, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we will dismiss. So would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I am really grateful to be a part of a church that has said uh, the people here are our greatest asset. Lord, that the people that you've shaped and formed and saved and worked uh, in their lives, Lord, that these people are, what, are, are the best gem that we have to offer, the best thing that we have to, to bring to the table for the work that you want to do. That is a really, really good thing. And so um, as we walk into uh, recognizing a different role for our tables than simply eating, all right, as a place where we might meet with you, would you, Holy Spirit, work through this to shape us into uh, the people and a, a, a place of people who know how you want to work, who are aware of the work that you want to do in the lives of our brothers and sisters, who are aware of the work that you want to do in the lives of those who are far from Jesus, you know, who are constantly concerned about just seeing you meet people. Lord, you can do this work, and we trust you for it. We look forward to it. I look forward to the tables that I get to sit at, and we get to, uh, together, uh, just be in awe of how you want to work and meet with us in these moments. I pray that everybody else would look forward to these moments as well. But as we gather uh, in the coming uh, weeks or months to, to celebrate communion together, to celebrate the giving of your body and blood, how you're inviting us to your own table, would you let all of these things shape us into people who, who see the work that you want to do through every one of us as individuals who you have called and filled with your Holy Spirit? We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.